0: You're listening to the Scared Litless podcast, the podcast all about suspenseful literature and the authors who make it their job to keep you on the edge of your seat. I'm your host, Amy Suter-Clark, author of the psychological thriller Girl 11. Listen up and listen well. <laughs> this is Amy Suter-Clark and Bethany C. Morrow coming to you from different parts of the globe two different hemispheres even wild. talk about this crazy thing we call life oh my gosh can you dig it (laughs) (laughs) you're listening to the smooth tunes (laughs) Bethany just
1: disappeared off my screen (laughs) yeah I was just choking it's fine I didn't need that water inside my body Or oxygen.
0: And we're back, folks. Did you miss us? After Welcome back to three, my podcast. four months without us. Hi. Sorry for disappearing on you.
1: You um, have to take a break and live life sometimes.
0: Sometimes when you release the same book three times in three months, things get a <laughs> little bit hectic. Just in put. I didn't know, but now I do that. Um, book release is a little bit wild.
1: So tell us about it. Tell us about what it was like to release Girl 11 into the world. Into
0: the universe. And it's been really good. I feel like I've I've still got the smooth, smooth jazz radio voice going on, so I'm going <laughs> to yeah. switch to my normal one. Um, but yeah, it's been really good. Girl 11 is out in English and German and Finnish at the moment and more more countries and translations to come. So that's really exciting. Um, it came out in the US in April, in Australia in May and the UK in June. And I'm still doing some promo stuff here and there. So that's really exciting, but also obviously busy. And I think it's done pretty well. I'm happy do with the reviews.
1: Have, do you have a, like a schedule of when all of the translations will have been released? Like what date is that?
0: No, I don't have. I didn't even like, I'm just going to be totally honest. I didn't even know the finished translation had come
1: out. Like, this is some the first I'm they, hearing about it. Yeah. And I was like, "Is am I a bad wife? Or I'm no. just not going to say anything because <laughs> this is the first time hearing about it. And it feels like something I should have known but um no, this is on but, you. Uh, good, no, good they deal. didn't
0: even tell me. So
1: oh, geez. I, apologies to anyone
0: <laughs> who could hear my dog having a coronary in the background there. He really does not like Australia Post, and I apologize to all representatives of Australia Post. It's nothing against you. It's your big it's, white it's vans. It's just and,
1: you individually, whoever on is on a murder right podcast. Now...
0: We understand the dislike and distrust of big white vans. I've got to say.
1: Listen. So, I I am I feel safer knowing that the dogs are paying that kind of attention
0: it's to the make and great. model. Yeah, it's pretty great. He took down his license plate number. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty interesting. Obviously, with translations, there's. Much less that I can do from a publicity side of things, or at right. least much less that I've been asked to do from the the translations, other than approving the covers. Um, so I'm not doing a lot of, like, marketing and publicity or any, to be honest. For it's like when the- you get
1: a lot of – I, for one, and I think this is because of YA, my YA novels tend to get a lot of um, tweets and, and, like, Instagram posts and stuff in – from Brazil in, in Portuguese and um, you just hope it's nice and it <laughs> seems like they're enjoying it. And so you're just <laughs> like, I'm going to retweet you or share to my story. And that's, that's the extent of my involvement here. I'm uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what we're talking about, but I do see my cover and that is my name. So that,
0: yep. man, thank you thanks, for tagging me.
1: Thank you for that. Yeah.
0: Always a risky endeavor to share. <laughs> an Instagram post that you've been tagged in without reading it because boy, do Instagrammers love to take a beautiful picture of your book and then talk about how it wasn't for them.
1: <laughs> wow. You know what? Now that I think about it, it happens so much in English. I think I, I just give people the benefit of the doubt when it's a different language. Cause I'm like, why would you, why would you bother tagging me so much? And then I'm like, no, because in English they do this all the time. And it literally happened twice today where there were two great pictures and I was like oh let me like this and then I was like "Uh uh-oh this is you know this is growth this is wisdom (laughs) scroll just scroll down really quickly and make sure that you want to like this post and like let them know that you've seen it because while it is more their job not you know to tag an author in a Mm -hmm. subpar to mediocre review, um, they do sometimes go ahead and do that anyway. So I did scroll down and one of them, one of them, um, you know, she was really, she was really going through it and she was like, I don't know why I didn't love this book. It certainly has elements that I assumed I would like. Um, and I'm so she just sort of spent a couple of paragraphs um, just wrestling with her, with her feelings, <laughs> with her negative feelings <laughs> about my book. And my thing is like, this should be your space to do that. The problem I am having is that she tagged me. And so I am yeah. here awkwardly at a party that I clearly was not supposed to be invited to. And now it's just weird for both of us. Maybe yeah. don't, maybe don't do that. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Anyway, so Girl Eleven is out in the world, and it was reviewed by the New York Times, which was like huge, <gasps> massive highlight of my career at the start of my career. <laughs> <laughs> um, hopefully, this just the start. Um, so that was really exciting, and yeah, it's gotten really nice reader reviews overall. It's currently on a little bit of a blog tour with book bloggers in the UK, so that's fun. And you had a book come out last month
1: as well. Yes. Chorus Rises. A Chorus Rises, which is the second book in a YA contemporary fantasy duology, came out last month. And I am trying not to notice that it's pushing sales of the first book. I'm like... I shouldn't be, they're both my babies and I shouldn't compare them, but I can't help but notice that like, there's been a huge uptick in posts about the first book. And I'm like, stop looking at her and look at but the other But it was <laughs>
0: just released in paperback to be fair at the exact she, same time.
1: Yes. So it was the same day. And so a song below water also came out um, in paperback. And I love how much people love that book. I, just i am like, stop <laughs> talking about her. She's over. No, I'm kidding. She's <laughs> had enough. Pay and attention you know, to Naima
0: now. Pay
1: attention to the new baby, please. Also, yeah. I'm, you know, I feel like I'm, I feel like I have much shorter windows right now because of multiple releases in the same year, which I don't know if I will ever do again. It is super duper exciting, but it also feels like. You're taking time away from one release every time you talk about another release, but the next one's coming in September. So, like, I do have to be doing some pre-stuff for that. And then I feel guilty and I have to run back and do something else for Chorus Rises. And then I feel like people are, like, confused. I don't know. It just feels... It just feels like no, like I want to give more attention. Last year with, with the song below water, it was my only release of the year. And so everything was a song below water. And it just felt like you, you gave it all of your attention and it had plenty of room to breathe. And you did all of these different um, venues and stuff. And now I'm sort of, every time I do anything, I'm talking about multiple books. So it just feels like none of the, none of my children are ever going to get the same amount of attention as the yeah. first? So
0: that's your fault for having so many babies.
1: It is. It's my fault. Yeah. yeah.
0: Which, speaking of which, one book that we haven't talked about on here, but is directly relevant to the um, concept of this show, is your mega deal release at the start of twenty twenty two called Cherish Farah.
1: Right, and
0: I've gotten to read several versions of this book because I'm super
1: privileged. She and is. I don't feel like there were multiple <laughs> versions, but drafts no, for but sure. Yes, <laughs> yeah,
0: no, it's always been the same, the same idea, the same book. Um, but I've just gotten to read multiple iterations
1: of she, the draft. She keeps saying, she keeps saying, I got to, and this is she's. This is a cry for help, guys. This is her being (laughs) like, I have been forcibly... (laughs) No, she is my CP. She is my first... She is my first, and I'll say majority reader, because it's not that other people... Other readers don't exist. Early readers don't exist. But sorry, this is what you signed up for. I need you to read every version, every draft. (laughs) Every excerpt that I change six words in and Amy gets to read it a bajillion times.
0: And what's really interesting is, I mean, I have a pretty bad memory, so there's also that. But it's pretty interesting that when I read it like two or three times,
2: Mm -hmm. I'll still
0: be catching things that I think are new that were in the first one, but you've maybe introduced like a paragraph break or you've cut down some words around Mm -hmm. that line or something like that, that makes it stand out. So it's from a craft perspective, that kind of um, reading as a CP, reading over and over again, the same um, different drafts of the same work is really interesting because it really does show how much how much it can change the meaning and the impact of a work just to revise it
1: the impact especially and and that's why it's really important for i think for young younger especially in let's say the industry not so much younger writers but people who are not as accustomed to getting editorial feedback or editorial letters and like inline comments and stuff because if you're assuming as a writer who is the one who's crafting it, if you're assuming that your CPs and your beta readers and your editor even and your agent are catching every single thing in the book because it's written down, you're not understanding the reading experience. And so a lot of times it is that where it's like, well, oh, someone will ask a question that you're like, it's it's in there. But it's, instead of taking offense to it, it's like, oh, okay, so this is this is hidden or this is buried and what can I do to bring this to the surface? If it's, if this information is already here, this imagery is already here. It's a good indication that like, okay, this is getting lost um, mm. because we think that readers see and perceive every sentence and like every phrase in a book. And obviously the great about CPs is, is that reminds you that they do not at yeah. all.
0: So Cherish Fair is coming out, as I said, next year, and I wanted to read the synopsis of it so that people can start getting super hype because they should be, and because it's going to be a big book, and I can't wait, and I've seen the cover, na-na-na-na-na.
1: You've seen the the hardcover and the paperback cover. I have,
0: and they're both iconic. I'm so excited for them to hit the... You get the most amazing covers like
1: I do. I do. You, Thank you. Thank you. And I know you work I... for them as
0: well. Like <laughs> you, ex- you have high expectations yes. and you get what you ask for and that's fantastic. And I love it. So, the synopsis. 17-year-old Farrah Turner is one of two black girls in her country club community and the only one with black parents. Her best friend, Cherish Whitman, adopted by a wealthy white family, is something Farrah likes to call WGS, white girl spoiled. With Brian and Jerry Whitman as parents, Cherish is given the kind of... Adoration and coddling that even upper-class Black parents can't seem to afford, and it creates a dissonance in her best friend that Farrah can exploit. When her own family is unexpectedly confronted with foreclosure, the calculating Farrah is determined to reassert the control she's convinced she's always had over her life by staying with Cherish, the only person she loves, even when she hates her. A troubled Farah manipulates her way further into the Whitman family, but the longer she stays, the more her own parents suggest that something is wrong in the Whitman house. She might trust them if they didn't think something was wrong with Farah too. As strange things start happening at the Whitman household, debilitating illnesses, upsetting fever dreams, and inexplicable tension with Cherish's hothead boyfriend, and a strange journal... That seems to keep track of what is happening to Farah. It's nothing she can't handle. But soon everything begins to unravel when the Whitmans invite Farah closer, and it's anyone's guess who's really in control. Told in Farah's chilling, unforgettable voice and weaving in searing commentary on race and class, this slow burn social horror will keep you on the edge of your seat until the last page. Whew! I made it through reading that whole synopsis, even with Bethany on my screen doing a little jig while I read it.
1: Actually, I was doing not appropriate. (laughs) I was doing lots of different dances, not just (laughs) jigs. Do not reduce me. Um, You're you're
0: right. You're right.
1: You did such a good job reading it. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. I'm a real good reader. I'm so excited about this book and even more than I'm excited about holding it in my hands, I'm excited to see people lose their minds about it because they absolutely should.
1: And yeah, it's I'm,
0: so good. Even though it's a 17-year-old main character, it is definitely an adult fiction book.
1: Yes, and I'm trying to be super clear with people about this. I realize yes, that Because once Bethany you, does write
0: two different right. age categories, so it's important
1: yes. to note and my first uh my my first novel was actually an adult novel and the protagonist in that novel was a 19 year old to be fair she was a 19 year old memory but it's fine um yeah but it definitely had a lot of crossover um the first i think the first school visit i did was a high school um so, I've done university reads for that and and classes and stuff for for that book, and actually for all of my books so far. but I did also I have also done high school for all of them as well. So I am just assuming that no matter what I say um through February, there's gonna be people who are like, "I think this was inappropriate for young people, and I'm gonna be like, and I agree, and that's why I published it as an adult novel so <laughs> And you are uh,
0: correct. Good job. You're jump.
1: correct. You would be I correct. mean,
0: Lord of the Flies is unquestionably an adult novel, even though all the characters are teenage boys. And we this make teenage boys and girls read that book. Um, right.
1: And this is the problem, I think, with um, with people not actually knowing what categories are and then and not realizing that it's actually quite... Fácil for you to have assumed it was directed at young people because there's a young person in the book. That's kind of silly, um, especially because you don't see them in childish settings, in young person settings whatsoever. Uh, no. It's it's a very it's very much like a almost like a closed room story. It all very much happens around one location. And there's, you know, it's it's ve- and also as somebody who writes for for young adult audiences intentionally, when I actually write for young adult audiences, I am taking a certain amount of care because I'm always writing for black girls, for black American girls, I'm always taking a certain amount of care with the reader. Um it's super important to me that people understand that Cherish Farah is not directed at young adults because I would not have been able to tell Farah's story. Um, Farah is a budding psychopath, and that is not a spoiler. You should really get that from the copy. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, there's, there's, I'm not trying to like edify anyone. I'm not trying to be like, it's totally okay for you to lean into. And I'm not saying it's not okay for you to lean into your psychopathy, but what I am saying <laughs> is. Yeah, I did not approach. I would not have been able to tell the story that I wanted to tell if it was if it was not an adult category yep. novel.
0: And I remember having those conversations with you. So it's not Yeah. It's not even for authors who are listening to this and especially if you're an author who writes across different age categories. Like those are decisions that you make sometimes halfway through writing a book. Like it's mm-hmm. not necessarily something that, you know, you know, right away, sometimes that's part of the process is realizing, actually, I can't, I can't market this book to
1: teenagers. I, teenagers I can't will read it. This book. Right. But. I can't finish. And that's the thing that people have to understand. Category just really has to do with what am I reasonably responsible for. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that young people are not going to read the book. I am saying, based on where it's placed in a store, you're going to know that it was not directed at you so whatever terrible things that you take away from this I really have no control over because you were not the target audience um
0: and I really hope that booksellers put it in the adult like thrillers yeah, horror um, section because yeah. I just listened to this interview with Alyssa Cole who is a very popular romance author but wrote a social horror thriller. Um, that's, you know, multi-award winning and a New York Times bestseller and all that stuff. And booksellers were still putting it in the romance section because
1: that's where her other books are. That is the most ridiculous. Like on one hand, we're like genre isn't really the author's problem that's the bookseller's problem that's the publisher's problem right it really mm-hmm. just has to do with where is your book going to land in the bookstore but at a certain point when you realize that people are unwilling to allow you to do what you're doing because they have decided what you do that is really frustrating and it almost only happens to women authors to begin with um so you it's it's it is 100% infantilizing um, it's definitely a situation where it's like this one, the this was on the bestseller list immediately. Like this was an instant bestseller yeah. in thrillers, right? Like, how are you going to pretend that you don't know the difference between a thriller and a romance novel? That to me is, you might need to learn how to read. That's kind of ridiculous. it's There's such a huge gap between what her previous books had been and that book um, that to... To pretend to be confused over something like that, that was like intentionally obtuse and really frustrating um, as a fellow author to see that happen.
0: Yeah. So anyway, that's our little update on what we're working on and what's what we've got coming out and and all the things. And you might notice this is (laughs) slightly different from our usual uh, author or killer trivia segment but obviously we've been away for a while and wanted to give an update on what's going on with our books and things like that and I am working very hard on my second novel which is also part of the reason for the delay on the release of this episode and as most authors will tell you second novels can be very difficult this one is particularly personal to me so I think that that's made it extra hard and trying to work on it around the book release there's been a lot of a lot of challenges along the way
1: Um, so if it makes you guys feel any better I have gotten to read um, what she's working on so just if that helps (laughs) you at all to just know that I Am privy to, you know, yeah. early reads of of her work. So just if that helps,
0: if it helps, I mean, and if you are burning with jealousy, just also know she's been privy to multiple teary phone calls about how I can't <laughs> do it and it's never going to
1: work. <laughs> so, and
0: I don't feel count, too envious.
1: <laughs> I count those as blessings as well. So,
0: thank you all <laughs> so much. Yeah. um, Writing second books is hard. Writing books is hard. Um, But writing second books during a pandemic is just interesting. Let's just put it that way.
1: I think we're genuinely going to look back at this time and and frankly be horrified that we worked at all. I mean, (laughs) truly, I'm not I'm I'm not even kidding because it's it. Some people will say, like, it's a testament to the human No, you know. And I'm like, no, it isn't. It's it's literally terrifying that nothing, nothing seems to be able to stop us. Um,
0: nothing not, seems to be able to stop capitalism.
1: Nothing seems to be able to stop us from having to work and pay our bills. And yeah. um, and yeah, I, I don't know how I've had like every time I finish reading a book, I'm in awe of myself. And I do think that I am a superhero. Yeah. And that's probably true anyway, but the point is, it it is though. I think we're going to get to a point and look back. And instead of being like, Oh, I wish I had done more. or I wish that had come out better. Or why was I having such a hard time with that draft? We're going to be like, it's actually sick. It's actually sick that I was doing this at this time. (laughs) Yeah. So we didn't just
0: call a timeout. I don't. Just going to sit here in awe of myself for a quick 10. And then, yeah, move on. Yeah, no, truly, it's it's been it's been a difficult eighteen months, as I think everybody who has been through the last eighteen months would know and understand. So, anyway, so all of that to say, um, I am excited about the author interview coming up in this episode, and. Then we will be going on hiatus for a while as I work on finishing my second novel, and Bethany works on releasing
1: two novels. And life happens I'm charades with her right now, guys. It's hilarious. <laughs> really there's hard just, to focus. <laughs> there's a second conversation going on. I just want you to know about.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. No spoilers, though. The um, level of
1: chaos that we're dealing with right now.
0: Yeah. There is there is a a hardcore level of chaos in, in my life at the moment. And it's only going to get more chaotic. Yay! Yay! Um, so hopefully we will be back maybe later this year or early next year, to be completely honest. Who can say? Who knows? But if you haven't gone back already and listened to previous episodes, I have some Excellent author interviews and plenty of author or killer trivia with Bethany, and I hope that you will enjoy that and still share the podcast with people that you think would enjoy it. Because if the listens and the reviews and the ratings go up, that might motivate me to come back sooner.
1: I mean, I'm just saying. Wow, <laughs> she did it. She just a little bit of bribery, I guess. Just put that on you guys. Yeah, you're like, if you want it, I'm going to get it. Fight for it. <laughs> let me hear some noise
0: no but seriously thank you to everyone who has listened and let me know that they enjoy the podcast because it does it is rewarding and it does make it exciting to put out new episodes and thank you bethany for being my recurring and favorite guest on your podcast
1: i want to Say thank you for doing my podcast, for for producing my podcast, and continuing to edit and release my podcast. Um, so You're I welcome. I do really enjoy and appreciate that. Thank you.
0: You're so welcome, and I really enjoy and appreciate you, person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're just gonna have a love fest now, guys. Yep. You might yep. want if you want to go ahead and check. Let me out just skip
0: to the side. next. <laughs> five minutes ahead, <laughs> no, Don't do that. Don't skip. You'll
1: miss it. We'll
0: edit it out. It's fine. Mia P. Mananzala is a writer and book coach from Chicago who loves books, baking, and badass women. She uses humor and murder to explore aspects of the Filipino diaspora, queerness, and her millennial love for pop culture. She is the winner of the 2018 Hugh Holton Award, the 2018 Eleanor Taylor Bland Crime Fiction Writers of Color Award, the 2017 William F. Deek Malice Domestic Grant for Unpublished Writers, and the 2016 Mystery Writers of America Helen McCloy Scholarship. She's also a 2017 Pitch Wars alum and 2018 to 2020 mentor. Before I start this interview with Mia, I just want to apologize for the sound quality on my end of Skype for the first few minutes. It's a little glitchy sounding, but Mia's voice comes through loud and clear. So I hope you will forgive that few minutes of bad sound quality and enjoy the interview. Well, I'm here with Mia P. Manantela. And her two dogs in the background, if you can hear them, are saying hello as well. And we are talking about her book, Arsenic and Adobo, and also just about writing as a crime and thriller and, in her case, cozy mystery author. And we'll do a five killer segment. First, I want to welcome you to the podcast and ask if you wouldn't mind giving listeners an idea of what your debut novel is about
2: sure uh thanks for having me and just a warning in advance of the listeners i'm sorry my internet is being a little iffy today so if i drop out or it's a little bit hard to hear me i apologize in advance i also apologize for my dogs um (laughs) who are a little feisty after just getting their dinner um so arsenic and adobo as amy said is a it's a culinary cozy mystery um so it means it's a little bit lighter, it's a, it's a more humorous uh, take on mystery and it follows my protagonist Lila Macapagal, who is a young Filipino-American woman uh, born and raised in a small Midwestern town. She leaves uh, to Chicago to go to school and kind of make big things happen for herself, kind of fails spectacularly and has to go back home to lick her wounds. Um, while there she is tasked with saving her aunt's failing restaurant. And she also reconnects with her high school sweetheart, Um, but it's not like a cutesy second chance at love story. He has become the town's vindictive food critic who dies um, mid-meal, mid-review, and she becomes the main suspect in his murder. So she has to both save the restaurant and clear her name. I
0: love that concept so
2: much, (laughs) especially because
0: you think it's starting out going to be one thing, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's going to be this, can she make this relationship work type of thing? And then it's like, oh, he just passed out into a bowl of food and (laughs) later died. So I guess the answer to that one is no. No, (laughs) not at all. Not at all. Yeah, I love it much and I I don't read a lot of cozy mysteries myself but reading yours made me feel like I need to read more of them because it was just like a warm hug of a book like (laughs) there's there's lots of like tense moments and there's still conflict and there's still that kind of you know crime murder kind of what's going to happen type of thing but it's not as uh, stress-inducing (laughs) <laughs> as a thriller can be, or quite as dark. And I I really loved that. Like, it's like the best of both worlds between romance and, and crime.
2: Yeah, thanks so much. You know, I feel like, especially this year, you know, like my book is like a good, like, let's say a palette cleanser, right? Like if you like, yes. if, if you typically like, you know, darker things, it, it's still kind of hard to do like, darkness, 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 darkness all the time, especially during these. So I feel like mine's like a refresh, you know, it's a nice like refresher. It's just like, well, you still get the mystery, you still get some tenseness, um, you still get like the general like investigate you know, investigative things that you're looking for, but you're not just like, Oh god, oh no, I'm so you know, <laughs> like you leave it, it's yeah. like, oh, that's nice. Okay. I can <laughs> I can, you know, move on and, and find something else. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's
0: a great that's a great way of putting it, a palate cleanser. And it's perfect too mm-hmm. because it's about so much about food. Yeah. <laughs> and it really just felt like a love letter to Filipino cuisine which um is yeah, it made me so hungry. I know I've seen <laughs> other people talking about how the book just made them feel so hungry. <laughs> And uh, one of my relatives, like one of my in-laws is dating a Filipino woman. So I've told her about the book and just been like, you have to read this because I feel like it will just (laughs) like, it'll just make, she's Filipino Australian, but I feel like a lot of the, um, the culture collision will be there. Like she'll be able to appreciate a lot of the uh, stuff about the food and, and the culture particularly.
2: But you actually developed like recipes for this book. Yeah, um, it's not every culinary cozy has them, but I knew one, a lot of people would ask about it. um, And two, you know, I really did want to expose more people to like the wonders of Filipino cuisine. And, you know, not everyone has Filipino restaurants, you know, buy them. So at least for this first book, I chose recipes that are fairly easy to make um, without having to go to like a specialty grocery store. Um, Like Mm -hmm. the only one I think where you would need specialty ingredients would be like the ube crinkles, ube being a a, a purple yam that we use in a lot of desserts. But everything else like, you know, the chicken adobo recipe, adobo being like our national dish, it's, you know, soy sauce, vinegar, Mm -hmm. garlic. You know, you you can get that in in most grocery stores, I imagine. uh, i mean, again. That's me being very America-centric and big city-centric, but I, I would think um, those are are fairly easy in in the more Western world. I should say.
0: Yeah. So you you've mentioned culinary cozies a couple of times, which mm-hmm. I personally don't feel like I had heard of that subgenre before your book came along. But I imagine that it's been around for a while. Do you have any favorite culinary cozy books or authors that you like to talk about
2: yeah i really uh love vivian chen's uh noodle shop mystery series um i also enjoy i recently just read and blurbed um a fellow 2021 debut raquel reyes her culinary cozy Uh, is called uh mango mambo murder which focuses on caribbean food and the protagonist is a food anthropologist which i think is like the coolest like job that's a protagonist so could cool. have in this world you know like i mean like most of the time it's you know it's like oh a bakery owner or a restaurant owner or something, you know like which is you know that's fine i obviously mm-hmm. i chose that but i'm like food anthropology so you get to get like the academic side the history the culture along with like the mouthwatering, like descriptions of food so i found that so so cool it takes place in miami um other culinary cozy writers I, she's not necessarily a culinary cozy writer but it, it's it's she walks the line Gigi pondian has um a uh, a series called accidental alchemist mm. which is like it's it's like it's paranormal uh because it involves like an alchemist who, who uh found the elixir life um her her uh gargoyle that's come to life who is a, like an amazing french chef and they have it comes with these like fantastic vegan recipes like I'm not vegan but like I tried her (laughs) recipe because it comes with a recipe for like uh, like vegan brownie bites and they are so good (laughs) Um,
0: that does sound good
2: yeah and I, I could go on and on but like those are some of the ones like like very recently you know that I read I can definitely shout out that I love nice that's great. Thank you. I love that. Because, yeah, now I want to read more, even though it'll make me
0: eat more. I think it also didn't work very well that I've been watching MasterChef in Australia as well. So that always makes me really hungry also, because they make the most amazing looking food.
2: <laughs> I mean, I think another reason I wanted to include it is like I was, um, you know, I watch a lot of like Great British Baking Show. And then like my character is a baker. And I'm just like, oh, this is research. Yes. Yeah. I can Absolutely. make this whole ass cake for myself <laughs> as research for this book I'm doing. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect.
0: Yeah, I knew someone who wrote a book that featured like the main character was like a cupcake shop owner, and she did the same sort of thing. It was just like just an excuse to make all different kinds <laughs> of cupcakes, really, and just just be like, but I need to, I need to come up with new flavors to mention in the book, obviously. So, yeah. Exactly. yeah. I love when you're writing research just so happens to overlap with your own personal <laughs> interests.
2: <laughs> Productive <and> procrastinating, <laughs>
0: absolutely. And before we move on to the quick five questions, did you want to give readers an idea of what your second book, Homicide and Hallow Hollow, is about?
2: Sure. So Homicide and Hallow Hollow takes place a few months after the, the events of the first book. It's uh, it's now summertime and the the town, the Miss Teen Shady Palms uh, beauty pageant is on. And my protagonist, Lila, has a long history with this pageant. Uh, she's a previous winner. Um, it's part of the, the heavy rivalry between her and her cousin, Bernadette. Her deceased mother was a beauty queen as well, who was the one who pushed her into this. So it brings up a lot of The uh, both like the family drama, like the tension between her and her cousin, it brings up all these like repressed like feelings about her mother and 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 the guilt there. And, you know, of course, there's also a murder. The the head judge of the beauty pageant is kind of a a creep (laughs) and is murdered and her cousin Bernadette becomes the main suspect. And so, you know, even though they don't always get along, they're still family and she knows that her cousin, you know, wouldn't have done that. So they kind of put their, their differences aside to solve this case. Amazing. And does
0: Dr. J come back? Because I really like him.
2: <laughs> yes, he definitely comes yes. back.
0: <laughs> I know there's like a little bit of a love triangle between her. And is it Amir?
2: Amir, yes.
0: the, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, you know, I'm sure other people have taken Amir's side, but I just, <laughs> Dr. J just seems cool to me. So I'm, um, I'm rooting for him. Sorry, everybody.
2: <laughs> it's, because like, I, like, I'm not going to say who I prefer, but when mm-hmm. I was writing, like, cause I, I, j- I, uh, before we started, I told you, like, I just turned in my edits for book two and, you know, one of the things is like, I've made it very obvious who my favorite is. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to need to work on that. Because I already know, like, <laughs> I'm going to need a second round of edits. And I'm just like, this is too obvious. I need to, like, balance it out a little bit more, have it be a little more fair. But yeah, <laughs> it does continue into book two. Nice.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love a good love triangle. It's great. Uh, great. Well, let's move on to these questions. So the first one is what Google search have you done that would make the FBI knock on your door?
2: (laughs) So I, you know, again, even though it's cozy and lighter and humorous, I still had to research all the, you know, the murder mystery elements. Mm. And while I was still playing around with it, I wasn't quite sure. Like I knew it'd be poison because, you know, it's, it's a restaurant. That's my natural thing, but just trying to research which poisons and how and, you know, I think the most specific thing I Googled, which I'm just like, okay, this is too specific. This looks really bad. Is like best way to kill a diabetic or, (laughs) or like how much of X poison do I need to kill someone? How much of X poison do I need to like, slowly (laughs) lead to their death you know like I don't want to kill them with their first dose I want it to be an
0: excruciating
2: death yeah so like there's a yeah and then like it's, it's not just the like, oh, she was Googling arsenic. It's just like, why is she Googling this oddly specific yeah. question that is just like, uh, I'm a writer, I swear. Yeah. Best way to kill a
0: diabetic or something, What however you phrase that, is very specific. It very much feels like I'm so tired of this family, <laughs> taking care of this family member. I'm just going to get rid of them. That's, that's concerning.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess more concerning is like I actually found some answers and I was just like, well, I'm gonna yeah. you know <laughs> file that away for later. Yeah, that internet man.
0: <laughs> you gotta be careful what you do in there. Which I brings me actually talking about poison. I love Arsenic and Old Lace. Like it's one of my absolute favorite old movies. <laughs> and I was in the play in college, so it's a very close um show a, like, a close story to my heart and obviously your book is nothing like arsenic and old lace like it's not two old ladies murdering you know single men but I love that little love bit that. of a callback <laughs> to the title I think that that was a great option because I know you had mentioned in previous interviews that that wasn't the original title that you went with um but you wanted to go with a little bit more of a mystery-ish title yes if that's if I remember right
2: yeah. So like I sold the book as uh, its original title was Love, Loss and Lumpia with Lumpia being another Filipino food. Um, and you, know, my editors were like, you know, that's a great title, but it's it, it doesn't say mystery, you know, like, and it's true. Like it probably like you would think it's like, you know, like a women's fiction, some emotional journey, you know, like g- grief and and moving on after loss or something like that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. And so I want, you know, I knew I wanted to include the Filipino food element because it's such mm-hmm. a huge part of the story. And so I just kind of like looked at other titles out there and, you know, what what would give that, that that perfect mystery feel. And that would, you know, that's the one that we went with. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a great <laughs> choice. Also,
0: because like it gets a little bit of a hint to the humor that's in the story as well. Because I was thinking old place is quite a, it's a farce. So it's quite funny, even though it shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I, I love is. that. Someone said the other day on Twitter, like, I want someone write the Golden Girls, but with murder. And I was like, that's just arsenic and old lace. (laughs) Go watch the movie. I'm obsessed with it.
2: I would love to write it. There's like, I don't know if it's, is it, oh my God, is it a Swedish or Scandinavian writer? It's, it's like, oh, like little old lady who's up no, to no good or the old i can't remember the exact but it's a series of short stories that are, that are in the same vein of like arsenic and all these if it's like an, an unassuming old woman who lives by herself and you know the <laughs> dead bodies just keep kind of showing up around her who can say what happened exactly it's oh uh, i need to i need to find that and send that to you i think you would really yeah. It's a really fun, quick read because they're short stories.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that sounds very much up my alley. I love it. I love unlikely serial killers. <laughs> like, Yeah. Very I haven't much actually so. written anything like that, but I love reading about them. Next question is, how do you come up with plot twists and do you think them up ahead of time or do they happen as you write? And they don't have to be like major plot twists, but just... Mm-hmm shifts or reversals or reveals however you want to think about that
2: I mean it's a little bit of both you know there are some where because I read so much within my genre like I know that there are certain genre expectations and so like I'm fine playing within those walls and just putting my own spin on it which you know which is it can be fun in its own way some people find it restrictive I feel like like no you know like it it gives me these guidelines and I can play around with them in my own way. So I actually Mm -hmm. kind of enjoy that. Um, So some of it is me like, well, I know at this point X is expected. I know I have to hit this beat. I know, you know, this thing has to happen. So those are, I've already plotted out, but, but how it happens necessarily is sometimes, you know, I'll, you know, I'll be writing and I'm just like, Oh, okay. No, I originally thought X had to happen here. But I actually think it would be better if some, you know, why happened. And right. so even when I do plot it out ahead of time, I still I still default to what's best for the story. right? You know, like, you know, I, like I'm a, like I'm I'm a light plotter, but I know that, you know, the best stories don't adhere to the outline, you know, faithfully. Uh, mm-hmm. I have to give it room to grow.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That sounds Similar to the way I do things is, yeah, you you put the plot and the outline together and then if the story takes you in a different direction, you go with it.
2: Yeah, like it's a guide, you know, it it helps Mm -hmm. me with like not just sitting there staring at the scary blank page. If it's not right, it's not right, you know, and I got to throw it out and figure out the, the best thing.
0: Absolutely. Which crime writer or podcast host would you want to cover the story of your murder God forbid that would happen. Of course. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, so I will confess I'm not huge on podcasts cause I do have like auditory processing issues. So like mm-hmm. if I don't have a visual or something to read along with, I, I really cannot focus. It, it's hard for me to grasp certain things. Um, but whew, that was such a good question. I was trying to think, because I'm like, I don't really know so many true crap Like, I want to be something weird and be like Sherry Thomas, even though she does historicals. But I'm just like, oh, she will make my life somehow just so... romantic and twisty and i'm like yes give me that
0: (laughs) absolutely that's valid it doesn't have to be a crime writer just because i said it
2: (laughs) be any writer she she does the lady sherlock series and Uh, so like i feel like yeah like she can take like existing material and then like make Mm -hmm. it her own and fun i'm like you know what i will allow that that sounds great (laughs) yeah just make my life sound interesting and you can go forth and prosper (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's going to yeah, it's, it's going to sound so much better than just like, I don't know, she spent like 60% of her life playing video games. Like, I don't <laughs> know, like it's not going to be a very sexy movie. We got we got to, you know, give it some oomph.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Have you ever written anything that scared you?
2: Not scared as in like, oh my god, you know, like getting in the head of a killer is too scary, but scary as in like, I don't know what I'm doing is <laughs> <laughs> um, the first book I I ever finished. So, so Arsenic and Noble is my second novel that I finished, but it even, it, and it's my debut, but the novel I had written before this, um, that didn't go anywhere, had a sex scene in it, a female, female sex scene. And it was at the time I thought necessary. and. I was so man, you know. There's a reason I write cozy because mm-hmm. that scene was awful, yeah. awful, awful, awful. Um, I, you know, I'm perfect. Like I like reading sex scenes. I think they can bring so much to uh, to a book. You just, but it takes a certain talent to write them, mm. and I very clearly did not have that talent. Um, <laughs> and like I, I'm like I'm so embarrassed because like my, my mentor read it. And she was just like, so would you feel it? I'm like, you know what? No, you're right. At first in my head, <laughs> I was like, no, we need it because it does X. And it did have a reason. Like it, it moved a certain thing along, mm-hmm. but then like, as I reread it as a whole and thought about some of the revisions I was making, I was like, oh, you're right. Oh my God. You're so right. And in fact, I apologize for even making you read that scene because <laughs> objectively, it 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 did not succeed on a in, – in, like, it wasn't meant to titillate, you know, but, like, it right. didn't even – at the same time, it didn't succeed on the other thing I was trying to do. So I was just like, oh, yeah, no, it's got to go. It's got to go. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I still aspire to someday be able to write a great sex scene, but I just – I it still scares me because I'm just like, I don't know, like – you know, it's like fight choreography. It's like, where, where are hands? Where are yeah. things? How how many synonyms do you have to describe certain objects and, and actions? It's just
0: like, oh, okay. Uh. And it really <laughs> does seem like some people are just naturally talented. At, like similar to fight scenes, like you said. Like I'm just thinking about, um, I just went to the noir at the bar that you read it. And S.A. Cosby did his reading of razor Blade Tears. And just the man can write a fight scene like, yeah, and it's just so dynamic, even though there's not like lists of choreography of what's Mm -hmm. happening. Like it doesn't you don't need that like you need the way it brings out character and the way that it you know, that it moves the kind of story along and it's, it's so hard to Do things that you're not naturally gifted (laughs) at. Like, I hear you on both of those scores because I've tried, like, Mm -hmm. choreographing a fight scene, I've tried writing sex scenes. And yeah, if it doesn't feel natural when you're writing it, it's really hard to make it, like, to retrograde that back when you're editing to try to make it better.
2: Yeah, because some people are, like, are, they're, they're very visual, right? They see things mm-hmm. cinematically. And I'm not a visual person. Like, I hate writing description. Descriptions are almost always the last things I write. Like, I'll be on, like, draft three, and I'll still come across a section that says, like, bracket, insert description. Like, oh, I still haven't done this yet, you know? So, and I feel like, yeah, like, yes, it's description, but it's it's description of a certain kind when it comes to, like, action and sex scenes. And, like, you're right, like, it's, you know, some people it's ta- you know skill they work at it and they work at it work and others just have that talent where they're just like these are my favorite scenes to write and they just yeah. blow out I'm like how like I'm friends with so many romance writers and I'm like teach me <laughs> how <laughs> please <laughs> let me learn your ways <laughs>
0: <laughs> no it's so true very relatable <laughs> the last question is what real life mystery do you most want to see solved?
2: So. When I saw when you when you sent me that question ahead of time, I was like, "Oh, that's really interesting. Let me think about it." Because I am not super up on like true crime and stuff like that, but I remembered not too long ago. I actually like pulled up a link just so I can like kind of remember. I don't know that it's necessarily unsolved, but the killers never quite received justice, shall we say? They were acquitted. Um, okay. And so I, haven't, sorry, I have the link in front of me just to make sure I get, like, the general details correct. So, like, it was in the 30s in California, and there was, a, like, stories around, like, a secret Filipino cult that mm. buried alive a 28-year-old woman. Um, and, like, the story says that I – mean, I mean, like, you know, the media called it a cult, but really it was, like, it was a collective of farmers who built a community – um, uh, you know, cause again, like they're immigrant farm workers and life was hard. <laughs> and so they built a community mm-hmm. kind of like all kind of rely on each other and help each other out, which, but which of course kind of leads to cult, like silence mm-hmm. about certain things. Like there's even, there was like even a code of like the person who spoke out was like, you violated the lodges, um, you know, vow of silence about, you know, talking to outsiders about what happens here. And I was like, Ooh, um, Basically, it was like a a woman who was like a farmer's wife witnessed um, an assault happening within like the compound and reported it. And those men went to jail. And because she reported on something that had happened on the inside, they thought that she needed to be punished for it. Um, and there are some, you know, things that were like. Were they trying to send a message and it went too far? Did they really plan to, to murder her? So they, I think it was a group of maybe seven people, a mix of men and women, who kind of, like, kidnapped her out of her house. Like, they were, pre- like, she knew her life was in danger and so was her husband. So they were preparing to, like, flee. And mm. but before they could leave, they kidnapped her out of her house. And then there are, like, varying reports of, like, what happened. Um, but basically they buried her alive. Like, um, Jeez. And someone within the compound um, who claims to not have been involved, and that was part of, like, the trial, you know, reported on it. And they came, and they dug, you know, they found her, and they went to trial. And it it became, like, a media circus, because, like, oh, the secret Filipino cult ritual, you know, they tried to make it seem like it was a cultural thing, that they were, like, doing this dark sacrifice kind of thing and so like an early
0: uh, satanic panic type of situation
2: yeah um and so like all the people went to court they were all tried but none of them um went to jail like basically the they were just like oh yes but no you did not prove without a shadow of a doubt that all of these people um, were guilty because I think uh, one of the women that was involved was pregnant okay. and so and so they were like oh are you gonna you know l- let this woman hang who you know who's pregnant and this and that you know because at the time it was basically like um if they got um if they were proven guilty they probably would have all been hung like it would have been right uh, A death penalty. So it was one of those just like, are you comfortable, jury, with sentencing these seven people without a shadow of a doubt? Right. So, and then after that, they were just like, oh, well, they're not guilty. Now we have no idea who did it. So, like, uh, you know, so it's unsolved, but kind of solved. (laughs) Yeah. But it was just, you know, I heard about it and it was just like fascinating to me how it was portrayed and then it's like also again the idea of like a community of silence which i think you know lots of people are kind of familiar with where just like you handle things within the community because that's how we survive you don't involve outsiders and then right in some ways yes that's how you get by that's how you survive in a tough environment but at the same time it leads to so much corruption, just so much just ugliness and i don't know i, I found it fascinating when i first read about it that's really interesting.
0: Is that something like is that known by a name? That case, so if people are interested in it, they can look it up.
2: Um, I think they're 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 actually planning on making a documentary about it. But the the victim was named um, Cecilia Navarro. Okay. Um, yeah. So like, if you kind of like Google that, like Cecilia Navarro, or like. Um, like California Filipino cult murder something like that. I think is what I, mm. I Googled when I was trying kind to of I couldn't remember the name. So right. I was like, oh, I was like, California Filipino cult. And yeah. So I was kind of found of that. But yeah, Cecilia Navarro was the, the poor woman who was buried alive. Oh. Wow. That's really interesting. Great choice. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Dark choice, but great. And that's, you know, we like dark choices on this podcast. (laughs) It's fantastic. Yeah, Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mia. It's been really, really great talking to you. And I'm so excited that Arsenic and Adobo is taking the world by storm. And I can't wait for the second book as well. And yeah, I really appreciate you coming on.
2: Yeah, I mean, thanks for taking the time to talk to me, because I know, again, the the time difference (laughs) is a little (laughs) wonky. Um, And also, like, these were some very different questions that I've had to answer. So I actually appreciate, like, oh, that's interesting. Let me think about that kind of a thing. Oh, Um, good. Yeah. Oh, and The the short story collection, it's an elderly woman, an elderly lady is up to no good. Nice. (laughs) I just, I like, it's just like that's what it is just
0: quite not quite there until. Yeah, no, that sounds really (laughs) interesting. I will look that up. Before I leave you today, one last a nervous wreck to send you on your way. A couple recommendations of the true crime and thriller media that I've been consuming lately. Like, Millions of other people, I'm sure. I got really into the Sons of Sam docuseries on Netflix. There was a whole satanic panic element to that story that I had never heard about before. So it was really fascinating to watch that series and learn about the connections to other killers, cults, crimes, etc. that David Berkowitz had. Highly recommend it for anyone interested, especially if you find cults fascinating like I do. In terms of a book, there is another 2021 release that I would definitely recommend. It's called The Girls Are All So Nice Here by Laurie Elizabeth Flynn. It's her debut adult thriller. And it is yet another dark academia tale, which I think I recommended last time as well with Bad Habits by Amy Gentry. So I'm definitely into this subgenre of psychological thrillers. is a woman who goes to her college reunion and secrets about her past start to come out in uncomfortable ways with her partner and with her former classmates. It's a great book. A huge page turner. If you're into that sort of thing, if you like a psychological thriller, if you think the concept of mean girls plus murder sounds interesting, then definitely check it out. That's all from me this time. As I said in my interview with Bethany, this podcast will be going on hiatus for a few months as I work out some things in my personal life and also work on my second book and trying to get that ready to go and be ready to be published in 2022 so i hope to be back in the future but until then keep supporting writing and author podcasts and keep reading thrillers and crime novels and supporting your favorite authors including the authors interviewed in the five episodes of this podcast so far Thanks again for listening until next time.